Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, Eagles fans, this is Mike K from NJ Advanced Media, and welcome to the No Huddle Show podcast, where we discuss anything and everything Philadelphia Eagles. You can read our content on nj.com slash Eagles, bookmark that, and you can subscribe to our exclusive Eagles Insider Tech Service, where we'll break news, give you insider observations, and provide in-depth analysis. Through Eagles Extra, you can send questions and comments directly to us, and we'll respond to your phone. With me today, as always, is my fellow Eagles beat reporter, Chris Franklin. Today, we're going to discuss the big Zach Ertz trade. Zach Ertz is now a bird of a different feather, I guess you could say. Uh, I don't know. We'll also discuss uh, the ongoing saga of the Nick Sirianni, Jalen Hurts play calling uh, fiasco. And we'll kind of recap the loss to the Bucks, even though I'm not sure if there's a ton to take away from the loss itself. But on that note, Chris, we haven't slept a lot. How are you doing? What's sleep? Well, what, what the heck is that? You know, it's been a while, man. It's not too bad, man. It's been a, been an eventful 24 hours, not even 24 yet. It's been a, a lot's going on in that past from uh, Trey Thomas and running into the game to all of a sudden Zach Ertz. We have to say put former in front of his name now, man. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I got to write some stuff. I thought Zach Ertz really kind of went out with a bang, got the touchdown uh, yesterday and then talked about it roughly 15 hours later with us. Um just to give you guys some insider info, when a guy is traded, typically he does not talk to the local media, let alone the Philly media. And I got to tell you, Zach Ertz really impressed me. Not that I expected anything less of him. He's always been a huge stand-up guy, um, someone who has always given the media the time of day, even in the worst scenarios. And I think uh, he really wanted to express both to the media and to the fan base, how much the city meant to him, how much the ups and downs of everything will stick with him. He was here for roughly nine years, is number two all time in receptions for the franchise. He's number five all time in yardage, and he's number seven all time in touchdowns. Um, you could kind of tell uh, with the way he re- responded or reacted after the game that something was up. Prior to the game, Jay Glazer of Fox Sports kind of implied that one of the two tight ends could be traded within the week. Um, You know, I asked around a little bit. I was under the impression something could go down this weekend. Uh, Wasn't sure where he'd be going. Wasn't sure when. But um, there were definitely some rumblings late last night. Um, And, you know, luckily the the Eagles ripped the Band-Aid off and uh, we're going to be able to enjoy our weekend a little bit. But this weekend's been extremely crazy Uh, or this today has been very crazy. So, uh, Chris, let's get into this trade. So the Eagles trade uh, Ertz to the Cardinals for rookie cornerback Tay Gowan. 
and a fifth round pick. What have you learned about Tay Gowan in the last couple of hours that you can maybe share with, with listeners about what the Eagles are getting in this cornerback? Well, with Gowan, you know, he's a former sixth round pick from the Cardinals. You know, he's a six, one guy, real like real lanky. He's got speed, you know, he's, a pretty fast guy and something you want to see, especially when it comes to closeout speed, you know, if you get beat at the line and you need to run back and, and, and try to make a play on the ball. The thing is he's still really, really raw when it comes to the position. And when you look at the way he fits into this current secondary now, I mean, he's not going to supplant. I, I don't think you should expect him to see him supplant Steve Nelson. I don't think you definitely is not going to supplant Darius Slay. Uh, Vontae Maddox, he's he's. I think those three are all set where they are. And then you start to look go to further down. I mean, you still have Zach, Zach McPherson, you know, the team's fourth round draft pick, who's still who hasn't like really made a dent when it comes to defensively. So he fits right now. As the way I look at it, he fits right behind Zach McPherson, but ahead of uh, Mac McCain, who who has been inactive for all, all the games that he's played so far. So. When you look, I think overall, I think it's more like a. It, to me, it was, it was like a lottery ticket trying to acquire him in his trade. And you hope he can spend time with the defensive coaches, start to develop a little bit more, and become a contributor more likely for next season to try to get used to the way the system is, and, and then get acclimated to the city and the organization, and then have him compete for a job next year. I think that's where you're looking at for this, but. Yeah, don't, 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 I personally, I think don't expect a, a big impact, uh, immediate impact from them right away. So they also acquire a fifth round pick. They now have, I believe, three fifth round picks. Um, they own their own. They have Washington's and then they have the Cardinals, obviously. Now, the Gardner Minshew trade, if Gardner Minshew plays 50 percent of the snaps in three games, uh, the tr- the sixth round pick that the Eagles sent to the Jaguars will then become a fifth round pick. So they'll have two sixth round picks um, and two fifth round picks if that were to happen. Um, look, I think it's solid value. I know Zacherts is a huge name within the organization and everything, but really he was one of their top earners. He had a really stripped down role. Um, he had 11 games left on his contract instead of waiting out those 11 games and hoping the guy signs a deal that could get you a compensatory pick. They get immediate value in a fifth round pick plus a corner that they seemingly like during the draft process. Oh, and by the way, that fifth round pick will have a four year contract, which extends the value of Ertz and the cornerback has, has a four, four year contract as well. So They've basically got two four-year deals out of out of eleven games from Zach Ertz. Now nobody's expecting that fifth-round pick to be the equivalent of Zach Ertz, but you never know. You know the fifth-round pick could be another Kenny Gainwell. Um, so I don't hate the value. I'd probably give the deal about a B. What would you give it? I think it's about B minus C. Just I, I think the more to me the more valuable pick is the fifth round, uh, the more valuable asset in this whole entire trade is the fifth rounder because not just when it comes to the player, but even just comes maneuvering on draft day. I think if you if you throw in one of those fifth round picks, you can move up. I probably say about seven or eight spots if there's a guy who really you really target <coughs> linebacker <coughs> linebacker. But if you really target and move up, but I think that's that's more of what was is is the desired asset here in this deal. Yeah, I think it's all about flexibility. So they have 10 draft picks. They have the potential for three first round picks. At worst, they're going to have two 
pretty nice first round picks, two second round picks, a third round pick, a fourth round pick, three fifth round picks, and a sixth round pick. Not too shabby. Um, You know, we spoke to Howie Roseman immediately after the trade. He said this was the right opportunity. I think this is a great trade for Zach Ertz. The Cardinals are the only undefeated team in the league. Um, They're going to use him pretty heavily. Uh, They've needed tight end help. Ertz is a great route runner, which should work in Cliff Kingsbury spread offense. Um, and he will be favored. I think he'll be used a lot like Dan Arnold was and and Max um, Williams was earlier this year and last year. Uh, look, I think this can help a tight end, especially when they stretch out the field and there's so many weapons. There's Christian Kirk, there's DeAndre Hopkins, there's AJ Green, there's Andy Isabella, there's a bunch of other dudes. <laughs> like, they're stacked. And I think, you know, this kind of reminds me, I, I tweeted this earlier, but if you remember, the San Francisco 49ers traded Vernon Davis midseason uh, during the Broncos' huge Super Bowl run, and he turned out to be a key cog for Peyton Manning on offense. They win a Super Bowl, then he goes off and signs a big contract with Washington. Ertz could be in a similar situation here where he has a really nice year with the Cardinals, potentially wins a ring or goes deep into the playoffs, reassesses his value, and he gets a nice deal somewhere else. I I don't see a downside for Zach Ertz here. Um, he was not going to be back next season. This allows the Eagles now to kind of evaluate Dallas Goddard over the next 11 games to figure out if he can be not only a number one tight end, but an elite tight end. And I think uh, this amount of time kind of allows them to do that. I also think the Eagles would be smart to be sellers over the next couple of weeks anyway, because really, well, they could be four and four at the trade deadline if they beat the Raiders who were dealing with a complete mess off the field and the Detroit Lions who can't seem to put together a win at all. Um, The Eagles really are only beating up on mediocre or bad teams. They are struggling mightily against playoff contenders. So it makes sense to trade away aging assets. Uh, Howie Roseman still wouldn't admit that they were dealing away or being sellers. It's just they were looking for the right opportunity. And I think as we get into this Buccaneers recap, uh, it'll show you that the Eagles are still kind of figuring themselves out. So, Chris, let's get into that. Uh, we spoke to you know, the Eagles lost to the the Buccaneers 28-22. to The game felt a lot more uh, one-sided than that score. Um, really, the Eagles were only in it because Bruce Arians got greedy on a fourth down play in the fourth quarter up to touchdown scores. The Eagles finally decided to run the ball. Oh, what a relief it is. And uh, got into the end zone, did a two point conversion. They were down by six. Then Jannard Avery has a foolish and kind of unfair uh, taunting penalty and basically uh, bails the, the Buccaneers out. I think the Eagles are clearly being baited into penalties because they are so, um, dis, uh, uh, undisciplined. Um, but like the real story here is nobody expected the Eagles to beat the Buccaneers, but it's how they lost that I think is frustrating a lot of people. Once again, there was only one running play with a running back in the first half. Uh, when the Eagles finally did decide to run the ball in the fourth quarter, Fans sarcastically uh, gave each run a standing ovation. Like, I get that the running game is kind of a pound in narrative for the past two months or two, or even really the past 20 years. But, like, 
this offense is so one note and it is putting so much pressure on a second year quarterback who is both uh, inconsistent and inaccurate at times. And I just don't know how you can be successful as an offense with putting every single decision and every single snap on this kid's shoulders. Chris, you're the former quarterback. Break it down for us. Well, well, I'm not, I think everybody realizes that the NFL pretty much is a passing league right now. And it's never going to go back to the times where, you know, you're going to see like a, a true 50, 50 split or a 46, 40, 60, you know, past the run ratio, but you do have to run the ball at least to establish everything else. Even if it's just to give him a, even if it's just go ahead and get a break to hurts his arm, you know, or to alleviate him from getting hit and, I don't know what it is about the Eagles taking a long time, as Nick Sirianni particularly calling the plays, taking so long, wait until the second half to decide, hey, you know what, let's go ahead and run the ball and establish the run and and run right at teams because by then it's too late. How many times have we seen that on first down, it's almost predictable now, first down you almost start to look at a, a, an RPOs coming and the defenses, and he saw, and I saw this, I think I told you this in the press box, like you see like the way that, that the linebackers were playing with, toying with Hurts in the offensive line right before the snap, they looked like, oh, you know, I'm just, and they were just going to the flat area and all of a sudden they go right to the area, the read area, and they can, and basically confound that side of the, they were running the RPOs. And it, they the RPO, is a nice thing to have in your back pocket, you know, if you actually do the first thing, which is actually hand the ball for runs. I know there's a bunch, it's more complex than that. You have the counts in the box, all that other stuff. But it takes, there's a lot to be said with Brandon Staley, the Chargers coach said a couple weeks ago about just lining up head on head against a team, even if they're tough to run against, and just running it down there and say, hey, you know what? We're not going to shy away from this. We're not just going to give you, say, hey, you know what? We're, you're just a better run stuffing team. We're just going to pass, 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 pass. You got to bring some physicality to this to this table with this. Because if I'm an offensive line, if I'm an Eagles offensive lineman right now, I'm looking. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm asking Jeff Statlin, like, why can you please tell Nick Sirianni to actually let us run the ball? Because they're absorbing so many. They have to keep dropping back, dropping backs, and it gives the aggressiveness to the defense, the opposing defensive lines. They don't actually get a chance to assert themselves in the running. And with, lo and behold, when they actually do run the ball, it's success. So I know we when we talked to Nick Sirianni this afternoon, he said they're going to do some self scouting and that. But they, I think they have to not only do self scouting, but look in the mirror and actually say, hey, you know what, you actually got to live up to running the ball, no matter what the success is, especially early in the early in the downs and early in drives. Yeah, and I don't think this is a matter of like peer pressure or fan pressure or anything. I just think it's logic, right? Like the the Eagles are going like masses of amounts of time without handing the ball off to Miles Sanders, who came into training camp and as, as uh, considered an ascending talent and walked out of the summer being like a bystander in a pass happy offense. Like it, it just doesn't make sense. And like, I'd understand if they had no talent at running back, I understand a little bit more if the wide receivers were constantly getting open. But what happened yesterday was they had three drives that lasted basically 12 yards or 12 plays total. They ran the ball once during those drives. And I didn't have an issue with the play calling because guys were getting open. But eventually when a smart defense realizes they don't have to play the run, 
they start playing zone coverage and there are less and there's less and less separation in that zone coverage for the receivers. And that's why they struggled to get open. And I, I just think you're asking a lot of your wide receivers. You're asking a lot of Jalen hurts to put this on his arm. And I just don't think he's accurate enough to be dropping back 20 something times in a, in a, in a first half. I just don't, think that's his game and we talk about like you know trying to appease his skill set but really all they're doing is hindering it because they can't be one-dimensional the whole point of Jalen Hurts is that he's a dual threat quarterback well in order to threaten defenses you have to be able to give another threat other than the one dual threat quarterback or it's becoming, you know, it's like Cam Newton was was like a one man wrecking crew for a while, but he is so much more significantly talented than Jalen Hurts. He's also bigger. He's also got a better arm. Like it, it's you can't just put this all on this kid who a lot of people came into the season not even thinking he was a top twenty five quarterback, but suddenly he's the key and the answer to everything on your offense. He's the judge, the jury, the executioner. He's the appetizer, the entree, and the dessert. Like that doesn't make sense to me. That's not a way to win a ball game, and I, I just think. The Eagles are beating mediocre teams right now, and that's fine, but they're never going to grow if they can't set the tone early with running plays. I just don't know how that's feasible. Um, from there, let's get into the defense. Chris, what was your main takeaway uh, from from the Eagles' defense in this one? I thought that the third-level secondary, I thought, did a decent job, you know, just basically – I thought they did a decent job against Brown, Godwin, and Evans and Holden Brady. I was disappointed when it came to seeing the amount of pass rush that they generated. I know Tom Brady likes to get the ball out like three, four seconds. He can diagnose the coverage as quickly and get the ball to where it needs to go. But the fact that they couldn't – they got some hits on him, but the fact they weren't able to consistently get pressure on him, I thought that was an issue. But my main gripe right now – and. It, there really has to be a true overhaul on this team. And I know it's a lot. It's been made note of a lot, brought to light a lot, but these linebackers just aren't it. I've seen, especially when it comes to the base thing of tackling, you see guys going too high. On a guy like Leonard Fournette, a big back who's very powerful, you can't go have a guy like Alex Singleton. You can't have Eric Wilson try to go high and try to tackle a guy that big and expect to have good results. There are so many times where basically Fournette's son – Davion Taylor or Alex Singleton in, in the power game, a power run game. And it's getting to be – I'm tired of seeing it week out and week out when it comes to that. And you look at the way that the, the missed tackles continue to pile up, and you see opposing offices another 10, 15, 20 yards down the field on a tackle that should have been made or a tackle should have been stopped. And – I, this team doesn't value linebackers for life of me. I don't know why. I don't know if it's because they look at the have an outer shell principle or what have you, where you have to have you get your edges, your defensive ends, corners are more important than the linebackers. But it's enough's enough. I mean, I don't. I don't yeah, know man, what has else no one, do. Has no one ever eaten an M&M? The outer shell doesn't really matter. It's like it's all about the chocolate <laughs> or the peanut. You know what I mean? Like yeah. for real. Like that's that's real life. That's real talk. You know. Yeah. yeah. 
And and when it comes to a third, when's the last time this team actually had a true third down linebacker? Like I want a person, a linebacker who you felt comfortable enough that could drop back in the coverage and also stop the run, run downhill and stop stop the run and, and be a sure tackler. What, what Nigel, Bra- about? Nigel, Nigel Bradham, two thousand seventeen. Yeah, yeah. And that's it. And, and they haven't. De- and when's the last time they actually developed one? That's an even scarier. Sean Brister. Uh, Stuart Bradley. You're being kind with that one. Yeah, I well, Omar Gaither. <laughs> I, like, I don't know. Um, but you no, know, your point is is well received. I think. Look, this team's got a lot of draft picks, and they've got to start prioritizing youth at positions that they don't normally prioritize youth and money into. And I, I think linebackers at the top of the list. Um, I think they're going to have to add another defensive end. I don't know what Ryan Kerrigan does. Like, I really don't. Like, I, I uh, you guys played probably 60 less snaps than he did yesterday and had the same stats. Um, <laughs> so uh, let's get into our final thoughts. Um, I guess looking at the – as they get into this mini bye week – What's the one major thing outside of the run pass ratio that you'd like to see the Eagles improve upon out the gate against the Raiders? I like to see them change their mental focus coming into a game. I don't know what it is. I don't. They have to find out why they're starting out slow in so many of these games. And, it, and you think, especially offensively, you teams normally script the, script the first fifteen plays. So you know what you're going to run right in there just to see what other teams are going to adjust to that. And we, we heard Jordan Maialata pretty much say it yesterday. The Buccaneers knew what they were going to do, and the Eagles were slow to adjust. And they really have to find a way. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's pregame. I don't know if it's a pregame meal. I don't know if they're what they're seeing or the play call. Whatever they have to do, they have to find a way to get quicker starts because they're just digging themselves into too many holes and it takes a lot of energy and a lot exert a lot of stuff to try to come back week after week it's not sustainable it's not a way you can make be competitive and it is it, 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 for the life of me i don't know what it is that why they start coming out so late maybe that's no maybe that's going back to running the ball is to feel more comfortable but it's just crazy i don't know why they get to the slow starts man what do you think what are you looking forward to I've preached a lot about not making overcorrections, but I think when you look at the struggles that they had in Carolina and the struggles that they had against Tampa Bay, they were kind of compacted because you can't really switch stuff up on a two day walkthrough, right? Like it's not, it's not you two days of walkthroughs are not going to allow you to really change your scheme. Now that they have like an extra three days to work on this as both the coaching staff and, and give some guys some time off I just like to see them overcorrect overall. Like find what's going on on offense and defense that has just left them rudderless. And I also think, look, it, it, words are nice, but like Nick Sirianni screaming at people about discipline isn't really going to do anything. I'd like to see there be some culpability and some, you know, accountability. Uh, guys maybe getting benched, guys maybe losing their spot on the depth chart, guys maybe being pushed down to the practice squad um, because of mistakes. 
and mistakes that are, are easily avoidable. And I think that's really what needs to happen. I think this team is fighting and they're playing strong. I don't think they're extremely talented. I don't think they're, they've been particularly well coached as of late. Um, but I'm not really ready to pack Nick Sirianni's bags and head him back out to Indianapolis. I think this team is growing. I don't think they're that good. They've played a lot of really talented teams at home and then playing Dallas. I think Dallas is a legit contender. Um, it hasn't been easy, but I think we're going to learn a lot about this team with how they try to bounce back against the Raiders and the Lions. And if they lose one of those games, the season's essentially should be like considered a bust and they should just try to win with the young talent they have. So we'll see how that goes moving forward. Real, Re- real quick. Oh. Uh, re- real quick. Uh, you were a very good point. I'll make it a brief point. He really does need, uh, just like Andy Reid had trouble going on, Sirianni really does need his he- George Hegeman moment where he just says, hey, you know what? You guys don't do this the right way. This is what happens to you. I don't know. I don't, I'm not saying he needs to cut somebody. Maybe that's what it takes, but he really does need his own George Hegeman moment. Maybe it's dropping Ryan Kerrigan. Who knows? Uh, stay tuned. But you know how you'll find out about that first? Oh, wow. That's what's called a transition. Good tease. Good tease. Eagles Extra. <laughs> Sign up for it at uh, nj.com slash text. Chris and I have a lot of fun on there. We do exclusive Q&As. You'll get information before it hits Twitter. You'll get analysis before it hits Twitter. You'll get some insight that you wouldn't get anywhere else. Plus, you get to text Chris and myself, which... Uh, my parents don't enjoy texting me, but I'm sure you will. Uh, also, <laughs> remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to the No Huddle Show podcast. Send us your five-star reviews, your comments, your questions, your inquiries. We love hearing from you, uh, especially when we've had a full night of sleep. For Chris, I'm Mike. We get blah, 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 blah. Keep that in. Don't edit that. <laughs> we'll see you next week we are very excited to head to vegas and we are very excited to cover uh what should be a very interesting week seven now that zach Ertz is a member of the arizona cardinals toodaloo and have a great weekend